want you to take your Bibles, if you've got them with you, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. I'm glad you're here tonight joining us by satellite, TV, radio, computer, however you're here, we're glad you're here. We're even glad to have all of you here present physically, how wonderful it is. Thank you for being here. I think it's very important, in particular, it's important tonight that you get your Bible because we're going to see some things that are pretty smashing tonight. The Spirit of the Lord has put it on my heart to spend some time. We're going to take a few weeks, Wednesday nights, looking at freedom from religion. And we're going to talk about being free from religion, freedom from the spirit of religion. And you said, that's the craziest thing I ever heard. I thought that's what y'all did down there. I don't have a religious bone in my body till one creeps back in, then I get rid of it quick as I can. And we're going to talk tonight about exposing the spirit of religion. I want you to just open your Bible and you're going to see some wild things tonight in the scriptures the Son of God died so you could be free. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I got free from cocaine pretty quick after I got saved, but I spent 40 years getting free from religion and I'm still struggling with it. And we want people to be free from anything that is not Jesus. Our, our hearts were created to be free and to live free. And uh, we're going to see this in Scripture tonight. I want you to look with me in Scripture in a minute. The... Um, <clears throat> What we're going to talk about tonight in the next couple of weeks is very offensive to some people. But let me point something out. Jesus is the most offensive man that ever walked on the earth. And Jesus spent his entire ministry offending religious leaders. Uh, they were deeply offended by what he said. I, I just, I'm going to go ahead and launch out there. They still are. Jesus is the truth that offends oftentimes. And I'll be honest with you. The spirit of religion has given me more trouble since I became a believer and a pastor than any other spirit there is. I have struggled more with it, suffered more under it. Watch, I've seen more pain inflicted in people's lives by a spirit of religion and what it does than any other spirit. And I want us to look tonight in scripture. Uh, I, I'm in, I, we've got folks in recovery here. We have a recovery ministries here. Well, I'm a recovering Pharisee and I'm, I'm trying to recover. The Pharisee in me is getting to disappear and I'm going to be a recovering Pharisee. I want you to join the club. We need to have meetings here probably for recovering Pharisees. But I want you to look in the scriptures with me and Jesus spoke so much about this. Do you have any idea how much of the gospels, the four gospels, which portray the life of Christ, do you have any idea how much time is spent in those gospels dealing and struggling with religion? And how much time Jesus spent. Now in the Bible, the Pharisees are the leaders that represent the spirit of religion. Those Pharisees died. Those spirits have never died. They're still working in the earth today. And I want you to look at what Jesus taught his disciples and teaches us today in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus was very troubled and he said to his disciples, uh, let's look in Matthew 16 verse 6. He said this, Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Jesus looked to his fellows and said, listen, I want y'all to be real careful. You be on the guard for and you beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now the word leaven, uh, if, you, if you're older and you used to do it like this, you take a big lump of dough to make bread. You put a little tiny, just a little bit of leaven in it. What does the leaven do to the dough? It influences it. Just a little bit of leaven. Jesus said in 1 Corinthians 5, he said just a little leaven influences the whole lump. So Jesus said, be careful of this. He said, be careful of the, let's say it this way. Jesus said, be careful of the influence of religion. Be careful of the influence of the Pharisees, which is a religious spirit. And he, many times he warned his people, don't let this get on you and be careful of this. And uh, he went on to say this. Let's, let's follow it a little further here. 
And he said, uh, be careful of this. Verse seven, they reasoned among themselves, which gets you in trouble. It's because we don't have any bread. Well, they heard that and they said, we didn't take bread and he's bothered now. Oh, bless their dear hearts just like us. And Jesus being aware of it said, oh, you have little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves? Because you have no bread. Verse nine, he said, do you not remember that I fed 5,000 people with five loaves? And the next verse, he said, do you not remember that I fed 4,000 people with seven loaves? Do you, do you really think I need for you to bring me bread? And then he capped it off when he said, verse 11, how is it you do not understand that I'm not talking about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of the influence of the Pharisees. And, and we're going to look at some other places, but through scripture, he gave numerous warnings and he said, stay away from them. Beware of them. Do not engage them. He talked about the poison. He talked about the influence they have. And uh, let me just take a minute and say this. Why is it so, uh, why was the warning so great? Why, why is Jesus so, uh, and, and listen, he didn't just do it for them. He's doing it for me and you today. This is not just what it was. It's what it is. It's God speaking to me and you today. Why is the religious spirit so dangerous? Let me give you four reasons from scripture. Number one, it robs you of Holy Spirit life. The religious spirit will rob you. The, actually, the religious spirit is a substitute for Holy Spirit life, joy, peace, and strength. And the religious spirit will rob you of the Holy Spirit life. Number two, and here's why it's so dangerous, because it looks so close to the real thing. And Satan is the ultimate counterfeiter. And the religious spirit looks so close to, to a living relationship with Christ that a lot of times you can't tell the difference. Number three, and uh, see what you think about this. A religious spirit blinds people. It has a blinding effect on people. We're, we're right there. Look across the page in Matthew 15, Matthew chapter 15 and uh, verse 12. His disciples came to Jesus and said, do you not know that the Pharisees were offended when you said that? He was saying some things and he was cutting through the religious garbage and talking about the heart. And they came to him and said, do you not know you made the preachers mad? Do you not know they were offended by you? A lot of people are nervous because religious people get offended. Jesus was not. And Jesus said this in verse 13. He said, answered and said, every plant which my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. All religion that was not born of God will be thrown in the fire one day. But watch what he said in verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind. Religion blinds people. And then you become a blind leader of blind people and you end up in a ditch. But the power of religion to blind, let me give you a for instance of how it blinds. If I get into trouble in certain areas, I will know it. I think I'm beyond it now. But if I were to get back into drugs and say I got addicted to opioids, I would know it. I would know I was in trouble. Y'all understand that? I might, I might be hooked, but I know I was in trouble. If somebody did me wrong and I, got, I was full of anger and hatred and bitterness and rage, it would be wrong, but I would know it was wrong. If I, if I lust and, began, and I decided I'm going to run off with some other woman I'm not married to, you can do that, but I would know that was wrong. A religious spirit can get in your life and you won't know it. That's why it blinds you. And Jesus said to them, you're blind leaders of the blind. That's why a religious spirit is so dangerous because it's the one thing that can get into your life. That leaven, that influence can get in your life and you not know it. And that's why it's so insidious. That's why I said to be so aware of it. And then the fourth reason, according to scriptures I said earlier, um, 
it is so damaging to the heart and life. There has been more pain caused in this land by a religious spirit. More people will go to hell because of religion than drugs, alcohol, immorality. The damage that religion has done to people in this land and the blindness and the deception and just the woundedness. I meet so many. Jesus is the most beautiful person in the entire world. In every way, Jesus is wonderful. So why when I walk up to people and say, do you know Jesus? Why do they scream and run? They hadn't seen Jesus. They saw dead religion. And it's created such a grief in people's lives. And that's why I'm, I'm convinced it is the one thing that we really need to be. I'm more leery of a religious spirit than I am any other spirit. And we need to learn this. Now, the, again, I want to say it. The New Testament reveals the spirit of religion through the Pharisees. That's why it's in there, to teach me and you what it's like. And there, here's why it's so deceptive. And in particular, I want to mention to you several things about this religious spirit. Most of this is pulled from Matthew 23. We're going to look at this later, but let me tell you about these guys right here. Number one, they kept every command in the Bible. They kept every one of the Ten Commandments religiously, and they hammered those commandments. Number two, they studied the Bible day and night. Jesus said to the Pharisees in John 5, 39, he said, you search the scriptures day and night. These people studied the Bible. They were big on Bible study. Number three, according to Matthew 23, they taught the Bible to people. They taught people the Bible. Number four, they attended church every time the doors were open. This is going to go over real good. And in Matthew 23, they dressed up in their best clothes to go to church. I'm not dressed like this because I'm teaching on this. Uh, we, I was in a funeral today. I promise you, you're looking at my suit. This is my suit right here. But I'm just going to give you an example. I've seen people blasted because they don't wear their nice clothes to church. Said, so don't the Bible say that we should dress up and go to church? No, not at all. Find it and send it to me. In Matthew 23, Jesus blasted the Pharisees and said, you lengthen your garments and your phylacteries to impress men. They dressed up to go to church to impress people. That's a spirit of religion. Uh, but they attended church constantly. They were in church all the time. <clears throat> Number five, they paid tithes on every dime they made. They were very careful to tithe all their money. They gave money to charitable causes. And number six, the Bible said it not only there in Matthew 23, but in John chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter seven, that they did many charitable deeds and they fed hungry people. They did it. You say, well, what's wrong with all that? It was still a religious spirit and it was still, and, and all right, now here's where I want to, I want to shock you where Jesus reveals this thing. Dear ones, if you were to be around the, you know, Pharisee has a bad connotation. You say Pharisee, that's a slam on somebody. If you'd have lived in that day, you wouldn't have thought that. You would have thought these are the outstanding godly people in our culture. And they were admired as religious leaders. But I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. And let's let Jesus expose the situation. In John chapter 8, this is one of the most shocking verses. Uh, John chapter 8, they're having a... Uh, there was just, Jesus was just always in an argument with Pharisees. He was always in a debate with religious leaders. And this is maybe the biggest one in the Bible in John chapter 8 where they're just, they're criticizing him and they're coming down on him and he's defending truth. And finally, they say some things about him and then Jesus exposes the religious spirit. Look with me in John chapter 8. I want you to see what Jesus said to the ministers. John 8, 44, when he said this, you are of your father, the devil, and you do the works of your father. But what did they do? They went to church every Sunday, read the Bible, taught the Bible, did charitable works. 
So what did Jesus show us in John 8, 44? And you can read that whole passage. In John 8, 44, Jesus said, you are religious, you go to church, you keep all the rules, you pay, but your father is the devil. And he exposed a religious spirit and he exposed who is behind the religious spirit. You said, are you telling me that the devil is behind religion in our land? This is what the word of God is teaching us. Now, I'm going to show you why that can happen. I want you to turn with me to another strange scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to say it again. I said it earlier. Satan is a master counterfeiter. He's a master deceiver and is a counterfeiter. Religion is his masterpiece. It is his counterfeit for a true relationship with God the Father. And Matthew, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is, pretty, this is a pretty shocking verse right here. 2 Corinthians 11, and uh, the Word of God is calling out religious situations. In verse 14, the Bible says this, And no wonder Satan himself transformed himself into a what? The word angel means minister. Satan can change himself into a minister of light. So how does he come to us? Does, does he come with a, a red outfit and a pitchfork? And sometimes he comes with gross sin, but the number one way he comes to people, he comes religiously. And he transforms himself into an angel of light. And he's got helpers. The next verse says this, verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. It's pretty shocking stuff, isn't it? That Jesus would expose so much religion as being from the enemy. He again is the great counterfeiter. You say, well, Pastor, if, if, they were, if, they, if they went to church and they were good and they kept the rules and they gave money, what's the difference between this satanic religion and the true faith? What is the difference? One thing, it is the Holy Spirit of God. It is a living relationship. And it is the living Spirit of God in our hearts. That's, that's the only difference between the two. They look just alike. As a matter of fact, the Bible said, you can't tell the difference between a wheat, a shock of wheat, and a shock of tear. And they said, well, do you want us to separate them? Jesus said, no. Nobody can separate them. If you try to separate the tear from the wheat, you'll destroy the wheat. And then he said this, let both grow beside each other. Let them grow together until the day of judgment. And then the angels will separate one from the other. And the scripture teaches you and I this, there's just one difference, and it is spirit life. Religion never has spirit life in it. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 5. Let's look at that verse again where Jesus explained the difference. And uh, John chapter 5, pretty shocking verse where Jesus described the difference. And uh, I, I just love this. The word of God is just the light. And the Bible said you have given us light. And what we need to do instead of monkeying around in our heads, the Bible said they reasoned among themselves. Let's quit doing that. Let's just bring everything into the light of God's word and see what it's got to say. But I want you to look at this verse me in John 5, 39, where the Bible said this, John 5, 39. And again, he's speaking to religious leaders. He said, you search the scriptures day and night. In them, you think you have eternal life. He said, you study the Bible all the time because you think it's about Bible study. He said, but the Bible, these are they which testify of me. He said, the Bible is a book that's supposed to point you to Jesus. And what did he say in the next verse? But you're not willing to come to me and experience life. They studied the Bible day and night, but all they ever got out of it was rules and religious ritual. The Bible never brought them into a living relationship with the Son of God. 
And that's a perfect picture of religion. You can study the Bible. You got rules. You got religious activity. You got rituals. But you never come into a living, breathing relationship with the Son of God. You say, well, I don't cuss and I don't drink and I don't smoke. That's a far cry from he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I'm his own. And there's a big difference between those two right there. Matter of fact, I'll uh, give you a little picture. He talked to me about this one day. I'm riding down the road in my truck and I drive slow. I'm the one everybody gives a finger to. I drive pretty slow. And a dump truck goes around me and I look up in this dump truck and there's a woman sitting in the passenger seat of this dump truck. Well, that's unusual because you don't normally see that. And I looked again up there and it wasn't a woman. It was a mannequin. This guy perched a mannequin in the passenger seat of his dump truck. She had on a red blouse, had her arm out the window, had her seatbelt on, had sunglasses on, her hair's blowing in the wind. She's riding like this. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, what meaneth this? And the guy driving saw me looking. He just went over and gave me a thumbs up and smiled. And then he went on down the road and I'm thinking, do you really want me to tell you what I thought? <clears throat> this is terrible. I thought there would be some advantages. You get to make all the decisions. Nobody fusses with you. And then I got to thinking, there would be some disadvantages too. And the Spirit of God right there spoke to me right there. He said, that's religion right there. Wow. It looks good. It makes you look good. But there's no life in it. It can't speak to you. It can't embrace you. It can't touch your heart. It, it's just, it's, it looks good, but it's not alive. There's all the religion in the world can't speak to your heart. Only, only You can search the scriptures, but the point of scriptures is that they might bring you to me, Jesus said. And you come into a relationship with the Son of God where he's real and he's wonderful and he's alive. And how tragic it would be to settle for a mannequin when you could have a lover. Now, <clears throat> why did Jesus warn us multiple times to look out for religion? Why did he say it over and over? Here's the reason. All disciples are susceptible to this spirit. Anybody can fall into this. Matter of fact, we all wrestle with it. Uh, one day, to give you an example, John and James were with Jesus. They were going into a little city in Samaria. And the Samaritans sent a message said, we don't want Jesus here. We don't want him in our town. And, and James, I forget which one, one of them turned to him. It might have been James. He said, do you want us to call fire down from heaven and kill those people? <laughs> so he's a fundamentalist. And uh, Jesus said, I want you to listen to what Jesus said. You do not know what spirit you are of. I didn't come to kill people. I came to save men's lives. And see, if those disciples can get snagged by a religious spirit that wants to destroy people instead of help people, everybody can be susceptible. And you always want to divide between the two of them and know the difference. All right, let's do this. Let's go to scriptures. How to spot the difference. How do you, Jesus said, beware of a religious spirit. Well, what do I look for? And I want to take you through scriptures. And the Bible gives a wonderful expose. Here are the traits of a religious spirit that we see in scripture. And uh, when I first began to study these, I said, man, that's right. There it is. So I want to show you from Scripture several traits of a religious spirit and how to spot them. Number one, the upturned nose. The upturned nose is a sure sign that a religious demon spirit is in the house. Bible, when I say religious spirit, I mean demon spirit. The upturned nose is a sure sign that a religious spirit is in the house or in the heart. You know what I mean by upturned nose? Looking down your nose at people because they're not as good as you are. I want to show you something wild. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 18. We're not far from it. Luke chapter 18. This religious spirit gets on people and they've been doing pretty good. They hadn't cussed in a while and they've been given money and they go to church and they might serve in the church and they begin to get real proud about how good they've become and what fine Christians they are. You better watch out. 
That is an evil spirit right there. I want you to show it to you in Luke chapter 18. I love this passage. This passage will cause you to love our Savior so much. Luke chapter 18. <laughs> this is humorous to me. Verse 9, Luke 18, 9. Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. You know what despise means, don't you? Look down. Or look down your nose at. All right, now this is not a real story. He's making this up to prove a point, to make a point. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. That don't mean anything to you in your culture. But if you heard this, two guys walked into the chapel to pray. One was a minister and the other was a thief. Immediately you would prejudice. You would prejudge that situation and you'd think, well, I know why the minister prays, but why would a crook go in there? All right, Jesus shows why. They're going to pray. And I want you to listen to these prayers. Now, the Pharisee, here's a religious prayer. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Was he telling the truth? He sure was. He was much better than other men. I thank you that I'm not like other men. And then he starts naming them. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers. And somehow his eyes wandered. He said, even like that guy over there, even as this tax collector. Let me ask you a question. Did he tell the truth? Absolutely. He was not like those people. He was much better than those people. And then he goes on to say this. He said, I fast twice a week. My goodness, I forgot to throw that in. I give tithes of all that I possess. Has he told a lie yet? He's just told the truth. He said, well, what's the problem? Well, hang on a minute. And the tax collector, the crook, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat on his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You say, well, I wonder who got their prayer answered. In the next verse, you find out this is, this is crushing. The minister went to hell. The tax collector went to heaven. Let's read it. Next verse. Jesus said this. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Justified means right with God. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. See what a religious spirit does? It causes you to think that you're just doing so good and you tend to look down your nose at other people. Even if it's the truth. Friend, in this, in this issue, truth is not the issue. Attitude is the issue. What's the word? Pride. The insidious pride that a religious spirit is able to poison the human heart with and get down inside of people. It's an attitude of superiority. I've seen this thing all my life. I've, I've thought many times, good thing we're inside. They'd, they'd drown if it rained right now. Let me tell you what the correct attitude. I don't care if you've been preaching for 30 some years like I have. I don't care if you keep the commandments. I don't care if you give freely. The correct attitude from heaven is, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of Jesus Christ. I have not earned one thing from him. Everything I've been given has been a gift. And there's nobody below me. Now, thank God there's nobody above me because of the cross, but there is nobody below me. And a religious spirit, if I can't get you hooked on drugs and I can't get you to run off with some hoochie mama, I'll just, uh, I'll get you full of pride. And this is what a religious spirit does. Number two, second sign of a critical, religious spirit. A religious spirit is a very critical spirit. It's critical of people. I want you to look with me in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Have you ever felt like folks just trying to watch you, trying to find something wrong with you? That's a religious spirit. Jesus is trying to help people. Mark chapter 2. Here we are again with this same bunch. It's amazing how much of the Gospels involves Jesus' interaction with religious people and how rough it went for him every single time. 
Mark chapter 2, the Bible, excuse me, Mark 3. Mark chapter 3 says this. Jesus entered the synagogue again. There was the man who had a withered hand. He's got a deformed hand. They watched him closely whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might criticize him. That's a religious spirit. Always looking to find fault with people. Always watching people to see if you can catch them doing something wrong. That's the spirit of a Pharisee. That's a religious spirit that, that just, you, always, you smell these people coming and going. And it's always wanting to catch you doing something wrong. Let me, while we're here, let me show you number three. It's not only a critical spirit that's always seeing the worst in people and trying to catch you. A religious spirit makes people very hard-hearted. A religious spirit hardens people's hearts. Let's follow a little further in Mark 3 there. They're trying to catch him. Verse 3, Jesus said to the man who had the withered hand, he said, he said step forward. He's, he's, somehow Jesus is running in service. I don't know how that happened because they didn't like him. So he sees this guy. So he's got a deformed hand. And Jesus said, come up here, friend. And he has him step forward. And then Jesus asks a simple question. He said to them, to the religious leaders, he said, uh, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good, to save life or to kill? You know what he said? I thought church was here to help people. Isn't, isn't it lawful to help people? Isn't that what we're here for is to help people? And he's asking them, you know, now you've got to understand they had a rule back then. Another symptom of religious people. They had a rule that you, you could do no labor on the Sabbath. And somehow they twisted that, that since Jesus was a minister and part of his job was healing, if he healed on the Sabbath, he was breaking our rules. Nitpicking, aggravating. We'll get to that later. And he, he said, can I just ask you a question? You got a man here who needs help. Is it okay to help him? He said, I thought that's what we're here for. You'd think they would bow their heads and say, you know what, you're right. Watch what the Bible says. Verse 5, when he looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. They could not have cared less about that man getting help. The only thing they cared about was, do you keep our rules? And listen, a hard heart that's a nitpicker for rules, that's a Pharisee spirit. It's a religious spirit that gets on people. And uh, of course, Jesus went on to have a little difficulty. I'll tell you why we're there. Turn the page to the right, maybe one page. Turn to Mark chapter 6. Religious people are hard on people. They're judgmental. But I want you to see the Son of God as he looks at people in Mark chapter 6. Verse 34, the Bible says this. Jesus, when he came out, he saw a great multitude and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to help them. When religious people look at you, they see what's wrong with you. They try to catch you doing something wrong. When Jesus looks at you and he sees your problems, his heart is tender and realizes you need help. You're like a sheep without a shepherd. So he began to help them. There's a big difference between the compassion of Christ and the judgmental stare of a religious leader. And uh, so it's a critical spirit, hard heart. Number five, it is a judgmental attitude. A religious spirit will make people judgmental. Uh, let me just quote to you. It's one of those things that always sees the worst in people. Let me, uh, there, there's an example. We won't look at it. In Luke chapter seven, one day a religious leader, once again, invites Jesus to dinner. So Jesus comes to dinner and uh, this guy's being real nice to him because Jesus also called him hypocrites in numerous places. He's honoring him and talking nice to him, but in his heart, he's not with him. And they sit down and eat. And all of a sudden, one of the worst sluts in town comes in. Just She walked right into his house. She wasn't invited. She just walked in. And you understand they recline at the table. Their feet are out behind them. She comes up and gets down at Jesus and begins to pour perfume on his feet and weep and wash his feet with her tears and wash him with her hair, kissing his feet because she loved him so much. All right, listen, the Bible said 
that that religious leader in his heart said, this man's not a real preacher. If he were a real preacher, he wouldn't let a woman like that touch him. He is not a real preacher. That's a judgmental spirit that judge. Let me make an announcement. Jesus is a real preacher. Jesus is the greatest preacher to ever live. Jesus is God walking on the earth. He's compassion embodied, but a religious spirit is always judging you the worst. They see the, they see the worst in people. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says this, love always chooses to see the best in people. They see the worst in people. And it is so easy for this stinking thing to get on us. And we begin to look at people and judge. To prejudice is two words together, prejudge. It means to think you know something before you know the truth. And we see this happen a lot. For, for instance, let me ask you a question. Have you ever pulled up at a stoplight or a, a, a stop sign or something and looked over? You ever seen anybody standing there holding a cardboard sign? What do we think when we see those people? I love the old Mark Wills song that goes like this. It says, uh, I lost my wife and little boy. Somebody crossed the yellow line. The day we laid them in the grave was the day I lost my mind. And now I'm down to holding this little cardboard sign. We have no idea what people have been through, and, but a religious spirit's always wanting to see the worst and judge people. It's very judgmental and critical of people. And uh, see, see this, but this is, at least you didn't drink no beer. You know, at least, at least you didn't use no cuss words. Those external things, our rules, and I'm not suggesting you drink beer and use cuss words. I'm just saying the Bible teaches the greater sin are the sins of the heart the sins of, of the Pharisee spirit or the religious spirit rather than the sins of the flesh. Very judgmental spirit. All righty. Number five, I like this one. They're nitpickers. Y'all know what a nitpicker is? <laughs> well, actually, the, word, the biblical word is gnat strainers. They're gnat strainers. Let, let's look at that one. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. We got time. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. Now, Matthew 23 is where Jesus did an entire teaching for a, a whole chapter on how to avoid this religious spirit. And I want you to look and see what he says about people. Now, thank God for rules. I love rules because any place you've got two people, you've got to have rules. But dear ones, the Bible teaches me and you that the purpose of rules is to protect relationships, not destroy people. The purpose of rules is to protect marriages and families and churches and communities. It's not to hurt people. We don't use rules to beat people up. But Pharisees are funny about this stuff. And let me show you what a nitpicker is. Or uh, actually it's a gnat strainer. And Jesus said this in verse 24, blind guides. Can I ask you a personal question? Is that what you want? <laughs> you want somebody leading you through the woods? It's blind. That ain't going to happen. Blind guides. He said this, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That's stupid or what? I mean, can you see that? Guy's got his coffee cup and he goes, oh my goodness, there's a, there's a gnat in my coffee cup. And so he, he, mama, get it out. So he gets it out. And you look over again, he's got a camel's big rear end perched in his coffee cup. I don't bother him at all. <laughs> it's dumb, isn't it? You know what Jesus said? You major on the minors. You nitpick people to death on little things, but you're not dealing with the big issues. And he describes that in verse 23, where he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You pay tithe of mint and nice and cumin. You just nitpick. You know, somebody gets a birthday card with $5 in it. You ask, you're going to give 50 cents to the church. You know, you're supposed to tithe. They nitpick you over little stuff. But watch what he said. But you have neglected the big stuff, justice, mercy, and faith. You're worried about somebody giving 50 cents to the church, but are you showing mercy to the person down the street that's suffering? And it's people who major on the minors and beat you to death with these little rules. That's why it's called nitpicking or gnat straining. And uh, these are the people who just, they demand the letter of the law. 
I mean, they just demand the letter. One mistake and you're out here. Let me tell you something. Our, the son of God is a spirit of the law leader. The law was given to help people, not to beat them up with. Let me give you another one. Verse number six. <clears throat> the outside is more important than the inside with religious people. It doesn't matter what you got in your heart as long as you're dressed up well and your hair looks nice. <laughs> We're in the same passage. Let's read it. Matthew 23, 25. Jesus said this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice how Jesus was always very careful not to offend anybody. Hypocrites. <laughs> he said, uh, you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside's full of extortion and selfishness. Blind Pharisees. What do you say to first? First, cleanse the inside of the cup and dish. Then the outside can be clean. Woe to you, Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs, which appear beautiful outwardly, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. Verse 28, even so you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside your heart's full of lawlessness. Now, you know, he's not talking about cups here. He's talking about my life. And he said, you're so concerned about what people think about you. You project a good image, but your heart's selfish and self-centered. He said, what? Deal with the heart. Cleanse the inside of the cup and the outside will be clean. And uh, a religious spirit's always wondering what everybody thinks. You need to be careful. Make sure you put out a good presentation. We want to impress people. Let me tell you something. You don't need to impress people. You need to worry about what one person thinks. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Matter of fact, let me, in case I offended anybody about that going to church with nice clothes thing on, look with me in verse 5. Jesus said this about the Pharisees, and he said the verse 5, all their works they do to be seen by men. They do what they do to impress people. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments, put on nice clothes. They love the best places in the feast, best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace, and they love to be called by men, rabbi, rabbi, reverend, doctor, brother, smell fungus, whatever. They are so concerned with what everybody thinks about them. Let me tell you something. Get your heart right before God and forget everything else. Come on. Once in a while, people ask me, say, <clears throat> uh, uh, what do you like to be called? And I'll just say, Brian, fine by me. I'm not a reverend doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a registered nurse. I don't, I don't, I don't care for anything of that. I don't want that stuff. Jesus said in that passage, don't call each other by titles. That ought to go over well. He said, you are all brothers. I had a friend of mine got that religious spirit on him one time. He was no country boy like I was. And he got through school and he, he earned his doctorate degree. He must have cheated. He earned his doctorate degree. And I, I'd seen him. I hadn't seen him for years. I saw him later and he said, uh, and I forget, I, I'm not going to tell you his name, but I called him by his first name and he said, uh, he said, Brother Brian, it's Dr. So-and-so now. I said, come, I said, come down here. Actually, he was shorter than I was. I said, come down here. <laughs> I said, if the son of God tells me to call him by his first name, I am not putting you above Jesus. You just got to be bubba to me. I'm sorry. But I said it with a smile, but I meant it. Let me tell you something. This spirit of pride that wants to impress people, it is not from heaven. Jesus said this, get the inside of the cup clean. Let the spirit of God wash your heart. And then you don't have to worry about anything on the outside. But a religious spirit is always worried about what's on the outside instead of taking care of the inside. All right. Number seven, rules above relationship. Rules are more important than relationships. They are not. Relationships are more important than rules. One of the saddest pictures in all the Bible, but one of the most encouraging pictures in the Bible is in John chapter 8, where Jesus is teaching one day and a group of religious leaders brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery and threw her in the midst. And they said, she broke the rules. Let me make an announcement. She broke the rules. Jesus called it sin. And they said, the Bible says we can kill her and we can't wait to do it. What do you say? 
Well, they got him over a barrel now. They didn't care about her. They're trying to trap Jesus because they thought Jesus was soft on sin. Jesus is big on people. And you got a classic setup here and, only, and the son of God, like only he can answer them and said, fine, go ahead and kill her. But the first one who throws a rock better have a sinless life. And he said, he who was without sin, let him throw the first stone. And, it, for, and you talk about a miracle, they humbled themselves and walked off. You get a religious person to humble themselves, that's a major miracle right there. And the Bible said the woman was left alone. Now listen to what, listen to what God said. He looked at her and he said, does nobody condemn you? And she said, no, sir. He said, neither do I condemn you. Sin and go no more. Let, let me put it in the language you can understand about this rules mess. Religion's always looking for a reason to hurt you and judge you. Jesus is always looking for a way to help you. A religious spirit wants to judge people and wound them because they've made mistakes. Jesus came and died to redeem our lives. He didn't come to destroy men. He came to save men. And there's a big difference between those two attitudes that we see in the land. Number eight, let me throw this one out here. Um, arrogance. A religious spirit has what we call an unteachable spirit. They are so arrogant that they can't be taught anything after a while. I work close by. I want you to look with me in John chapter nine. We'll look at this perhaps next week, but let's do look at something here. In John chapter nine, you got one of the craziest situations. You've got, a, you've got all these religious leaders and these are well-educated religious leaders. And you got a little boy here. He's just, a, he's a beggar. He's been blind for 34 years, sits there and begs. And Jesus comes along and uh, to show you how a religious spirit can even get on his own followers, that his own disciples said, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's like this? And Jesus said, y'all are nuts. That's not exactly what he said. But he said, that's not the issue. I want to help him. He said, that the works of God might, I want to help this man. So you remember Jesus spit in the mud, made mud pies, put it in eyes, healed the man. That's good. Praise God, that's good. Jesus doesn't grab this guy. So what if it was your cousin? What if it was your child? Blind all those years, can't get a job in that culture. Wouldn't you be happy? Well, the Bible said they brought him to the preacher. Why do we have to go check with ministers every time God does something great? I see all the time, prominent minister says, and I think, who gives a rip? Well, I want to know what prominent God's got to say about the situation. They brought him to the ministers. The minister said, how'd this happen? And he told them three times and they didn't believe it because he did it on a Sunday and that was against their rules. And he's trying to explain to them and they, they're trying to get in this theological discussion and he made one of the greatest statements you can ever make. He said, look, all I know is I was blind and now I see. You don't have to explain things to people theologically. You just tell them, I was in a mess and my life's better since Jesus came into it. And uh, so they, they said, tell us one more time. And he got a little irritated with them. And he said, he said, all right, I'm going to tell you one more time. He said, and then he, he really screwed up. He's doing so good when he stuck with the eyes blind now. Saying, and then he really messed up. And he said this, do you want to be his followers? That did not go over. Watch their response. Read with me in John chapter 9, verse 34. <clears throat> John 9, 34 is their response. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins. And are you teaching us? And they threw him out. An arrogant, unteachable spirit that can't learn from just anybody. Listen to me. God can speak to me, to me through a donkey if he wants to, like he did to Balaam. Uh, we just got to get off this nobody can tell me anything attitude. That's a religious spirit. Listen, God loves to speak to his people, but he's going to speak to you through the last one you'd think he would. And a religious spirit can't learn from anybody. It's got it all figured out. Just, just pure arrogance. And goofiness is what it ends up being. Let me, uh, let me put in, let me, see, let me show you one more. We'll look at more down through the weeks. Let me show you one more. A religious spirit is a controlling spirit. 
it wants to manipulate people and control people uh, unscripturally in unbiblical ways. And I want to mention to you a couple of the ways that this happens. It motivates people in unbiblical ways. Let me mention three real quick that I see so often in churches. And listen, this is ungodly. This is not right. But you see people that are motivated by fear. A religious spirit wants to control you with fear, especially the fear of rejection. You don't jump through our hoops. You don't do what we tell you to do. We'll cut you off. The glances, the glares, the rejection. Uh, matter of fact, in this passage we looked at in John chapter 9, the boy was healed. His, his, he was blind for 34 years. He was healed. So the ministers went and got his parents. They didn't believe it. They didn't believe he'd been healed. They thought this was a scam. So they went and got his parents and they said, is this, listen, to, you're talking about stupid. Let me throw in number 10, religion stupid. So they said to him, <laughs> they said to him, is this your son whom you say was born blind? Whom you say was born blind? Right, doc. I've had him sitting on the side of the road here for 34 years just to pull this off on you today. Do you think, listen, if Jesus Christ had healed my son of blindness after 34 years, do you think I'd tell the world? Oh, yeah. Let me show you how powerful the religious spirit is. They asked his parents, is this your son that got healed? Let me show you how strong this thing is in John chapter 9, verse 22. Let's look at verse 21. Verse 20, his parents answered and said, verse, let's do verse 19. Let's just read the whole Bible. Verse 19, John 9, 19. They asked him saying, is this your son whom you say was born blind? How does he see? His parents answered and said, well, we know this is our son. So far, so good. We know he was born blind, but by what means he now sees, we do not know or who opened his eyes. Why'd they say that? They knew good and well who they'd watched it. You know why they didn't answer? Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the religious leaders because they'd already agreed if anybody confesses Jesus, he'll be kicked out of our church. That is the power of a religious spirit to cause you to deny what Jesus is doing in your life just to keep a bunch of religious people happy. Let me tell you something. Religious people never died for me. Jesus did. And if you've got to choose between respecting Jesus and respecting religious people, go with, the religion, go with Jesus. This is the power of this thing that puts people in and it motivates people by fear. It holds them in the fear of rejection and hangs on to them like that. And it's a controlling spirit. It's, it's a control freak. I've been in churches all my life where I've been here and there and they'll say, well, now don't pay no attention to old sister so-and-so. She's a little bossy. She's full of the devil's what she is. She's got a religious controlling spirit in her life and she wouldn't know Jesus if he walked up to her in a red jacket <laughs> because Jesus does not manipulate and control where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. He gives people liberty. Let me mention another way that they control through shame and guilt. Religion will always bring up your past to shame you. It's one of the most perverted passages in the Bible. In John chapter 8, where we read about the argument where Jesus is talking to religious leaders, and uh, they said to him, we are the children of Abraham. Jesus said, if you were Abraham's descendants, you'd do the work of Abraham. And he called them out. And they said to him in John chapter 8, they said, we were not born of fornication. We are the people of God. You know what they did? Your mama was a slut. And your mama got pregnant before she got married and they called him a Samaritan and said it wasn't Joseph either. It was somebody from a bad part of town. And they shamed the son of, tried to shame, you don't shame the son of God, but that's a spirit of religion that wants to shame you, point to your past, <clears throat> which it was not true. Bless her dear heart. <clears throat> Mary lived all her life with that religious shame on her life. And even when she was an old woman, the ministers in the community still brought it up. 
but she was not guilty. I'm telling you, see why I despise this spirit so much? It has destroyed more people. Let me throw a third one in here in the way that it controls us. You have to earn rewards from God. If you want God to be good to you, you have to earn it. This is Luke chapter 15, where the, the elder brother who was a Pharisee said this, I have kept every commandment I've worked for you and you never gave me a goat. Why were you working for him so you could get something from him? Let me make an announcement. God's been good to me. I haven't earned a thing. He's good to me because I'm his son and he loves me. And in the true kingdom of God, you don't earn stuff from the father. You believe him for what Jesus purchased at the cross. And this subtle, listen, this spirit is so subtle, just a word here and there, sneaky in, causing all this grief in people's lives. But the truth is that we've got to learn to identify it. And uh, this thing that you have to perform to be loved and accepted here, that's from hell. Just as I am without one plea, but that your blood was shed for me. That's the son of God to receive people and welcome them to himself like that. And uh, let, me, let me say this about motivation. Our Heavenly Father is far more interested in why we do things than what we do. The hard issue of why we do things is more important. You know, if you say, well, I went to church every Sunday. Well, that doesn't move him one bit. Why'd you go? And he's, he's, more, he's more interested in the heart issues. But let me make an announcement. Our Heavenly Father only motivates by love. He moves people by love and love alone. That's why the Bible said God so loved the world that he gave. He didn't have to do it. He didn't give his son because he was scared. He did that because he loved us. Let me quote to you from scripture here how that he motivates us by love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says this, let everything you do be done in love. What if we could reach a place where we never did anything except because of our love for God and love for people? Religious spirits motivate you to do it because you're scared, you'll be in trouble. What will people think? Who gives a rip? I want to do what I do because Jesus loves me and his love has been put in my heart for people. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this, the love of Christ constraineth us, compels us. That means it motivates us. Matter of fact, Jesus looked at Simon one day in John 21. He said, do you love me? He said, I do love you. He said, take care of my people, tend my sheep. Doing everything we do, we need to do it because we love Jesus and love people. And when you start living like that, free from religious garbage, that, well, if I don't go to church this Sunday, somebody will think bad of me. You might as well stay home. The king sees the heart. Listen, go ahead and get them mad and get over it. It's not as bad as you think it is. Just deal with the thing. We want to reach the point where we're motivated by love and love alone. To where Jesus just drives our lives like that. So the scripture teaches you and I, <clears throat> we want to expose the religious spirit and say, I thought this was God. No, it's not God. It's the wrong God. And let me tell you, do it according to scripture. The Bible says this, test everything, hold on to what's good. So we take the scripture and we test what's going on in our hearts and around us and in our churches. We test it by the word of God alone and we hold on to what's good. And of course you test it by uh, what, you, what you see. When I see this stuff we've covered tonight, I know. Of course, now I have a gift called discerning of spirits. I can smell it before they start acting it out and it's ugly. But let me tell you how you can, let me tell you what you don't see in a religious spirit. You don't see the life of God. You don't see hope. There's no hope in a religious spirit. There's just condemnation. You don't see joy. These people, they just, they're, I'm going to serve the Lord if it kills me. You think you're killing me too, doc. I need you to move on. And the, where's the joy of Jesus? It's the spirit of God brings joy into people's life. There's a peace. There's a freedom. I don't have to manhandle you and make you obey me. 
you just, you, the spirit, of the, the wisdom that's from above is gentle, it's pure, it's willing to yield, it's peaceful, it's full of mercy. You see the best in people. Your only intent is to help people. That's the spirit of God. And you never see that in a religious setting or in a religious circle anywhere. And most of all, there's the compassion of God in that. Now, Jesus over and over warned us to beware of religious spirits. Let me quote to you from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 7, Jesus said this, Beware of religious, a religious spirit. Beware of these ministers of religious spirit. And then he said this, and Jesus told them, he said this, You will know them. Dear ones, if Jesus helps us, we should know them. He said, You will know them by their neckties. Not what he said, is it? I don't care. You can wear a necktie and go straight tail. It doesn't matter to me. You can wear a minister's collar or whatever you want to wear. That outside stuff doesn't mean anything. Jesus said, you will know them by their church attendance. Sorry, doc. You will know them because they got a bumper sticker on that says, honk if you love Jesus, you honk, I give you the finger. That's not the way we do it right there. I don't care if they're preachers. I don't care what they got. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. And he gave us one of the greatest pictures of how to tell the difference right there in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you will know them by their fruits. He said, men do not gather grapes from thorn bushes, nor do they gather figs from a briar bush. Here's how you tell the difference right there. You notice he put them in two categories. Let me ask you a simple question. What do grapes and figs do for you? They refresh you. They're sweet. They nourish you. They strengthen you. What do briars and thorns do to you? They hurt you. They leave you bleeding. They leave you wounded. There's no nutritional value to them. Jesus said, you will know people by the effect they have on you. And you will know them by their fruits. And I want to make an announcement. The fruit of the Spirit is not Sunday school pens. Y'all even remember what them are? Well, you old people do. When, when I was a young preacher in the country church, you had Sunday school pens. And if you attended, you had perfect attendance for a year. You got a pen, went on your lapel right here. You got a Sunday school pen. Now you could miss eight Sundays a year. I'm not, I hadn't figured that out yet if you was on vacation, but you got a perfect attendance. If you did it two years in a row, another one hung down below that. You hooked it on there. Three, and every year you came, you got another little attachment hang down. I had people in my first church, they had, folks had to hold the door for them to get all them pens in. And so what's wrong with going to church regular? Nothing. But when you wear that as a sign of pride, that you're spiritual, that is a spirit of religion. And it stinks. Listen, we need to be free from this garbage. And my only claim to fame or anything else needs to be this. Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me. This I know is the only thing I need to be boasting in. And we need to, we need to be, as the scripture said, know them by their fruits. And uh, you say, Brother Brian, you've you got to be careful. You're going to... You're going to make somebody mad about this and you need to cooperate and get along. Let me point something out to you. This Bible teaches right here that Jesus said, don't give them an inch. Beware of them. Don't let this stuff in your life. And my beloved brother Paul, when he wrote about it in Galatians, he said, religious people came in and tried to spy out the freedom that we have in Christ, that they might bring us into their religious bondage, bondage, whatever they're trying to get them into. And he said this in the next verse, I didn't yield to them for a second so that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Let me tell you something. It is the cross. It is loving God and loving people and being led of the Holy Spirit, period. It's not all that plus the way I dress. It's not all that plus the fact that my hair stays up in a bun. I ain't got no hair, but it wouldn't go in a bun if it would. It's not the fact that I attend church every week. It is obedience to the Spirit of God plus nothing. And that's why the Bible said, cut this stuff off and don't let it get into your life. Here's the reason. A religious spirit will suck the life out of you. 
It'll kill a church. It'll destroy a family. How many preachers' kids do I know that hate God, hate church, are never going because they're in a religious spirit instead of the spirit of Jesus that gives life? This is the most damning thing in church today that destroys people's lives, and we need to be a people who steer clear for it. All righty. We've had a lot of fun tonight. We'll spend some time studying this, but let me tell you what we need to do here. <clears throat> because the religious spirit is so deceptive and, and unlike, you know, if I lose my temper and fly into a cussing fit on somebody and just cuss them out, I'll probably know that wasn't right. We, we can amen that. That's okay. You're not judging me. That, that's good. And guess what else? You'll know it too if I do that. But this religious garbage can get on people and them not know it. And that's why we have to, you know, if I cuss somebody out, I don't know it. I'll straighten it out. I'll repent. And by the way, it's been 35 years since I've done it. I don't want you to think I'm a regular with it there. But we need to, with this thing, when you see the spirit of religion, you see the Pharisee spirit, you know what we need to do? We need to do what King David prayed. When he prayed in Psalm 136, he said, Search me, O God. See if there be any unclean way in me. Examine my heart and lead me in the way everlasting. And we need to pray a simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, if this thing's gotten into my life, if I become, if I'm looking down my nose at people and I'm becoming hard with people that need mercy and I'm becoming proud of the fact that I'm such a good person, search me and let's get this stuff out and cleanse me and lead me in the way everlasting. And we need to pray for repentance for it and deliverance from it. And we need to pray for protection from it. We need to say, Lord Jesus, protect. I hate this thing. Protect me from it. Because I'm going to tell you something from Scripture. If you know the Bible, you know this. Jesus fellowshiped and loved and embraced gross sinners. But he kicked religious people to the curb. He has never changed. He is the same today. He always has been and he always will be. There's something about humility that draws God to people. And I'll tell you, instead of standing and saying, you know, I'm, I'm really doing good and I'm better than other people, why don't you beat on your chest and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and see if it doesn't draw the touch of God to your life. And let's pray that our church never get caught up in the spirit of religion and where it is that we call, uh, we can't call ghostbusters. Who can we call? <laughs> let's call somebody to exterminate that stuff. We want to be free. I don't want my people hooked on cocaine, pornography, hatred, or religion either. I want people to live in freedom. And I'm going to tell you, I don't, I'm going to smile and enjoy my life and enjoy the freedom of Jesus. Nothing will kill you quicker than dead religion to get on your life. Now, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and thank you and praise you. How could we take something as beautiful and as wonderful as a love affair with the Son of God where we hear your voice? You said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, they follow me, and I give them life. How could we take something as beautiful as a relationship with the Son of God that produces fruit that is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and turn it into something as dead as religion where we just fuss because everybody's disobeying the Bible and not doing right. Deliver us from dead religion unto a living relationship with the most wonderful person in the world. And Lord Jesus, rather than being the fusser of the world, let this house be the light of the world. Your word didn't say let, Jesus see, let people see religion. It said let, G, let people see Jesus. Lord Jesus, let the light so shine. Sinners were drawn to you. They'll be drawn to anybody that's like you. I trust you for that. I pray for my brothers and sisters as they're going through these unusual days we're in. I thank you that your eye is on the sparrow and you're watching over them. I thank you that their times are in your hand. I praise you and thank you that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
And I pray that they'd have the most, the most wonderful, sweetest fellowship. And since they can't come to the table here on this property right now, I believe you to prepare a table before them in the presence of their enemies, right where they're at, and anoint their heads with fresh oil till their cup just runs over. I praise you and thank you that if we walk with you, goodness and mercy the love and the blessing of God will be on us all the days of our lives. And then we're going to croak and wake up in glory and say, this is wonderful. Thank you for your goodness and grace. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.